May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. One of the best practices for a preacher, sadly, is always to check the news before finalizing a sermon. So this morning we have news of the shooting in Buffalo last night of 13 people. Lord, have mercy. We do not know the details other than the shooter was motivated to harm people of color. Lord, have mercy. The violence and hatred so rampant in our world is real. And it is the condition to which Jesus addresses us in today's gospel from John when he says quite clearly, love one another as I have loved you. On a lighter and happier note, I was blessed to be invited yesterday to a celebration and to enjoy some boiled crawfish not really a New England thing, even though they do look like little mini lobsters, um, but a treat that comes to us from New Orleans. And as I was there, I was challenged to work that into the sermon somehow. <laughs> Never too shy to take on a challenge. Um, I realized that for those of you who know the crawfish eating protocol, a lot is thrown away in order to enjoy the very small amount of tasty meat in the tail of the crawfish. So as I was thinking about that, I thought it's sort of an obvious metaphor. The head and the legs and really most of the whole body is thrown away. If we take that into our own lives, it suggests that the things that we all think are important are also tossed away. And that the true prize is at the back, where one needs to have some facility and willingness to work with the shell. That's where the treasure lies. It's not the obvious food. And looking at this creature, one can only admire the person who first decided that it was something to eat at all but they figured out the nuance of finding the good part. So food figures in our reading from Acts. Peter is questioned about why he has eaten with Gentiles, with those others. It turns out that even right after the resurrection of Jesus and his appearance to his disciples, our human desire to categorize us and them, was alive and well. Peter tells of a complicated vision in this reading, but the bottom line is simply that God's message, God's call, is for everyone. The us and the them we humans love to encourage in subtle and sometimes violent ways just isn't God's view of things. Divisions in our lives due to religious expression, politics, theology, and more are a constant challenge for us since the beginning. 
So the Acts reading is a corrective. God has invited and welcomed all into the saving reality of grace and mercy. And it's we who need to catch up. In the gospel reading, Jesus is speaking to his apostles, his closest friends. Now we read this very same scripture passage on Holy Thursday as we heard the story of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. That part comes right before what's what we read today. And it's interesting and compelling that we hear it again now in the Easter season, I think. Maybe it's an accident or maybe it's the wisdom of the framers of our lectionary, I'm not sure. But we're five weeks after the good news of the resurrection. And we are back at the Last Supper. Jesus is giving his final words to his disciples and he tells it to them plainly. Love one another as I have loved you. When you do this, that is how people will know that you are my disciples, my followers. So no complicated parable, no, you know, mysterious metaphor, just a plain, straight-out message from Jesus. Love one another. And when you do that, my love will be visible in the world. That's it. Now, when we hear this in Holy Week, we, like the disciples, are sort of focused on the cross and on what's going to happen next. But when we hear it now, post-resurrection, it has a more urgent and general call, at least to my ears. We know that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Death has been overcome, we can live without fear, and we're living in a world where God acted through Jesus' death and resurrection. So what does it look like as resurrection people to love one another and to show the world what this love looks like? It's not an easy question, right? You know, he says it like, just do this and then everybody will know. But it's a tough question. And those of you who know me know I'm a book person, right? So a friend of mine shared this book with me, and I think he actually, and I'll tell you about it in a minute, but I think the author here actually gives us some concrete suggestions and challenges about how we might, as a community, answer that question. It's called A House United, How the Church Can Save the World. So I was about 30 pages in, and I was going, okay, how's the church going to save the world? I'm ready. Give me the answer. I ended up staying up late last night and finishing it. And he does give us the answer. This is a book published in 2018. The author's name is Alan Hilton. He's a seminary-trained layperson, and he also taught for a while New Testament at Yale Divinity School. And today's scripture is really the basis for this book, which is why it's appropriate. 
basically what he says, what Hilton says is that we actually have a choice about how we're living now. Even though the divisiveness and the, the rhetoric and all of the stuff that we sort of feel is inevitable, he says, no, we actually have a choice. We can either count our current divisions as inevitable and righteous, which we do, right? My group is right, the other group is wrong, and continue to widen that gulf between us, or we can imagine and create a new world guided by Jesus' commandment that we love and that we be in unity. So I've adopted Alan Hilton as one of my spiritual guides for this summer, along with Thomas Merton and Bernard Dozer, more about them at the announcements. And I hope you'll join me in reading it, but I'll give you a little bit of what, what goes on. So he walks through at the beginning with a really helpful explanation backed up by anthropology and sociology that we as human creatures all the way back through history are actually hardwired to separate ourselves into groups. It makes sense because it's a survival mechanism. Hunting for food, caring for children, guarding the food, all of those things worked better when it was done by a group rather than an individual. But what he suggests is that something we all know is that we've reached a point where our technology and our social media advances are so great that they've allowed us to wall ourselves off from others in extreme ways. The algorithms that sort my news on my phone this morning and all it tells me, me all the things I might like is curated just for me as yours is for you. So we've ended up in echo chambers where we only hear and read and listen to voices and viewpoints that frankly other people have decided we should hear. So what Hilton suggests is that the church, the church, by living into Jesus's commandment, actually could resist this polarization. We as a body can commit to listening outside our silos. We can commit to reading or listening to viewpoints other than those our group believes to be the truth. And he does this in a really beautiful way. Remember the image from St. Paul about the body being made up of all the various parts you can't have the body, everybody can't be a foot, we have to have the eyes, the feet, the hands, all of the different parts. What Hilton suggests is that the body is made up not simply of the different parts and the different skills and gifts that we often think about when we think about that image, but it also includes differing political perspectives different ways of understanding family, different ways of understanding what it means to be human, 
that all of those parts are part of the body. He reminds us that community doesn't work if everyone is good at the same thing or brings exactly the same perspective. Something to think about. So what if, what if everyone who listens to Fox News commits to one day a week of listening to MSNBC? What if everyone who studiously reads the New York Times commits to one day of reading the Wall Street Journal and something from Breitbart? Not to get ourselves all exercised about those bad people, but to ask ourselves a question, what, what might I be missing in the news that I read and the voices that I listen to? What might I be missing? Hilton also suggests that the church, and he's speaking particularly to mainline Protestant churches like us, what if the church was the place where we read the Bible together and talk about different understandings and perspectives on really controversial issues? Like instead of avoiding it, what if we just did it? What if we looked at what the Bible says and then talked about what it says, what we think it means? how it challenges us. So one of the things, truth be told, right, that we are all worried about is the decline of church attendance, the decline of church membership. We're blessed today to have some young folks with us, but we wish we had more, right? We're worried about the way people of faith and positions of faith are often dismissed as irrelevant or extreme in the public square. Because that all happens, right? So I think what Hilton is challenging us is to ask, what if the church was the place where healing was visible? Where people could walk down the street and go, oh my gosh, those people are arguing like crazy, but they're arguing for the sake of heaven. They're arguing for the sake of understanding different perspectives. They're arguing for the sake of trying to love one another. What if the church was the place where we pushed through the boundaries of red and blue, us and them, as Peter did when he ate with the Gentiles, as Jesus did when he talked to everybody? What if Jesus' commandment to love one another is really all there is? What if that's really the core of the message, that tiny little morsel, that little tasty bite that you have to dig deep to find, what if that's it? He says, love one another. When Christians love one another, it will change the world. 
change the world. So there's some food for thought. It's a bit of a struggle to get to, right? Because it's so different from what we assume to be reality. But I think, like with the crawfish, the tasty part, the love, the witness to the world, might be worth the work. Amen.